0: They left the town just as they built it. And it may well stay that way for the next 500 years. What are we going to leave behind? What will be left standing when we're no longer here? Our cities? Our landfills? What will humanity's legacy be once we're gone? On the archipelago of Svalbard, floating between Norway and the North Pole. An abandoned Soviet mining town sits frozen in time and in ice. It's called Pyramidid, like the pyramids. And like the pyramids, scientists believe that this town will be preserved for a long, long time, thanks to the Arctic climate. A legacy of sorts. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today... We're visiting this ghost town, out there under the northern lights, way out in the middle of the Arctic Sea. Who built Pyramiden, And why did they leave? All of this coming up. But first, some words from our sponsors. For your next vacation spot, check out Texas for their vast landscape of culture, regions, destinations, and activities. Explore 350 miles of coastline and every kind of hiking trail from strenuous to wheelchair accessible. Enjoy world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. Travel Texas even offers an online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interests. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours.
1: Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially?
0: When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. On Svalbard, chances are pretty good you'll run into a reindeer before you find another person. Svalbard is an archipelago made up of nine islands, and it sits at a kind of crossroads. Greenland to the west, Russia to the east, Scandinavia to the south, and the vast expanse of the Arctic Ocean to the north. For centuries, no nation on Earth had officially claimed the islands, so sailors from all over freely used it as a base— Norway was finally granted it in 1920, but then they left it open to other countries for development. And that's where the Soviets came in. They came to the town in 1927, named it for the pyramid shaped mountain visible in the distance, and they started mining. And
1: it was a, a contract town. Uh, most of the people were there
0: for uh, like two years, perhaps four. That's Hein Birk. For years, he was Norway's cultural heritage officer for the Svalbard region. Though Pyramiden was built up with many of the same drab block-style buildings of the motherland, it was far more than just a charmless gulag. The town is full of interesting things to see, and I think uh, a
1: person from uh, from the West would surely
0: notice this, this difference. It had a plush movie house. It boasted the world's northernmost grand piano. And most notably, it had a tavern decorated with more than 5,000 empty, colorful glass bottles. And they had a greenhouse
1: with parsley and onions and salad and uh, many of those fresh things. It was quite impressive how they, how they managed to, uh, to have a kind of a system going. there, were growing food up in the barren north. It was kind of a self-sufficient society. Uh, Very little was uh, disposed of in the garbage dump. And most of the garbage was (laughs) organic, uh, made into uh, compost. And it was fed to the animals, the pigs, the chickens. So it's quite impressive how, how they make this. Not because they were primarily occupied with the environment, but because it paid
0: to do that way. And then, one day, just like that, there are no human beings there at all. The, the coal, Russian coal mining,
1: mining company, they, they quit uh, in 1998. At that time, there was, a, there was nobody there. It was a very abrupt process. Of course, it has to do with uh, the Soviet Union that was uh, dissolved in the 1990s. They speeded up the process. So uh, we didn't know from one year to the next that they were actually going to be be gone. So we were a bit surprised, I remember. The town were left for eight years, and you know, it was uh, the seabirds have moved in and make nests in all the windowsills, and uh, mm. it was dusty,
0: and the paint was flaking. and uh, he's describing what Pyramiden looked like when he went back there in two thousand and six. and they were polar
1: bears. We could see the tracks in the mud in different parts of town.
0: Polar bears, patrolling the empty streets, rummaging in the empty rooms. It was all still there. The piano, the bar, the theater. Just the people were missing. Unless you count the statue of Vladimir Lenin, who presides over the otherwise empty streets of Pyramiden.
1: On the walls, there was these calendars, and they were crossed off. Mm. The days, you know, counted down. (laughs) These two years were over, and they should go back and the uh, pictures on, on the walls of the uh, things that were not in Baron Svalbard, but uh, uh, pets, dogs, nice rivers and woods. And uh, you can sense the longing for Ukraine and Russia, where those people come from, where they have their kids and their relatives. Uh,
0: isolation must have, has been taking its toll, I think. These days, after nearly 20 years in the dark, Pyramiden is once again home to people. This time, it's tourists, not miners. And the town is accessible for visits between May and October. It has armed guards to protect against polar bears, and there's even a hotel retrofitted from one of the Soviet block buildings. There are also permanent residents, six people who tend to the tourists, including one metalhead who deemed himself the world's most northern headbanger. But traveling to Pyramiden, remains a difficult trip. You have to take a flight from Oslo to Svalbard, and then you can get there by boat in the summer or snowmobile in the winter. But the trip may be worth it. It's essentially time travel, an untouched portal into a past that no longer exists. Or to a future yet to come. This podcast is a co production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, me, Dylan Thuris, Sarah Wyman, John Delore, and Peter Clowney. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tindall. This episode was reported by the wonderful Matt Taub. Thanks to Hain Bierk for taking the time to chat with us. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tindall, and this episode was mixed by John Delore. I'm Dylan Thuris. Wishing you all the wonder in the world. Talk to you soon. Witness Docs from Stitcher.
1: Hear that? It's the call of the crave. And when the crave calls, you know what to do.